So I'm about to utter like the, probably one of the biggest no-brainers. Um, it's hard being a Christian sometimes. It's challenging. It can really be tough. It can be discouraging. It can be filled with doubt. It can, you can be wrestling and wondering, am I doing it right? Am I doing enough? Just drifting and wandering and just not sure. You can wake up one day and wonder, is it all really real? I mean, all kinds of stuff can go on in, in the mind and the heart of a Christian. It's just, it's just the way it is. I'm thinking that the author of the book of Hebrews knew that. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I encourage you to turn to Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to be look, looking in verses 19 to 25, which are some of the most encouraging passages I've ever read for fellow wanderers who bump into things all the time and get caught up in the, the grind of living it out. And it's tough. And, and you think it's tough now for a Christian back in the day when this letter was written or when this book was written. It was obviously written to Christians. Number one, it was obviously written to Jewish Christians because of the rich um, references to the temple sacrifices and just the priests. And obviously it was written to encourage Jewish Christians who must have been really going through a difficult time because, I mean, becoming a Christian in the first century uh, was radical shift from what they were used to. From all of the, from the tabernacle and the temple and everything going on and the priests and their religious duties and everything had to be just right and you couldn't just waltz into God any old way you wanted to. You know, the things had to be positioned right and everything. Here along comes Jesus was kind of like a rebel for a lot of people and his followers were not treated very well. Let's just put it that way. They were facing heavy persecution, hostile persecution. They're getting pressure from fellow Jews <clears throat> to come back to Judaism, to, to reject Christianity and come back to your roots. What are you doing? What are you thinking? Remember who you are. They were under extreme pressure from outside the church. They were under extreme pressure inside the church with all the false teaching that was going on, just distortions of the gospel everywhere. You know, the Jesus plus stuff that was going on, trying to add human works to Jesus' finished work at the cross. It's just, I don't know why we like to do that. Like Jesus couldn't possibly have accomplished all that needed to be accomplished. I mean, we got to do something, right? We got to add something to it. So there's all this perversion of the gospel going on inside the church. And if that wasn't bad enough, just what the pressure of what's going on inside of a Christian's heart. That constant pressure of being shaped and molded by God into the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ, is not always pleasant. I don't know if yours is, but it's not always pleasant. It's similar today, isn't it? We may not have the fierce persecution that they had, at least not in this country, right? There are Christians, brothers and sisters around the world facing equal, if not worse, persecution than 
the first century Christians did, but we have our share of rejection that we have to deal with and constant in-your-face kind of attitudes towards people who don't believe what we believe and who don't think, you know, what we believe is good and they have no problem letting us know that. So we have our own level of persecution. We also have false teaching today. That's never ended. We have teachings about Jesus that well, it's, it's all good and it's all prosperity and it's all about being rich and it's all, it's all about no pain, no suffering, you know, making out great all the time, prospering all the time. If you're in any kind of pain, then either you don't have enough faith or you're not doing it right or stuff like that. <clears throat> We're faced with that all the time. Or a Jesus who just doesn't care about sin and, hey, do whatever you want. Once saved, always saved kind of a thing, right? Soft on sin. You know, you make up whatever you want to draw a crown. By the way, that's one, thing, one of the things among many that I appreciate about this church is we are not afraid or ashamed to preach the true gospel in, in spite of what the culture might like or not like. And the true gospel is incredible and powerful and challenging and difficult. And I just want to encourage you, today's message, you may have looked at the bulletin, it's called Wanderer Come Home because the challenges that we face as Christians can cause us to drift and lose focus and wander. And sometimes we don't even know we're doing it. The writer of Hebrews, I keep saying the writer of Hebrews because we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews, but whoever he was, he had a pastor's heart because he was very concerned with the people who were reading this book. They were drifting back into Judaism. They were turning away from Jesus. They were, and I mean, you could see why. It's just, it was hard. People were getting killed. People were being martyred. Families were ripped apart. It's difficult then. It's difficult now. The book was relevant for Christians then. It's relevant for us now because it's just as difficult wrestling with the things we wrestle with. But the author challenged and encouraged that when that discouragement comes, and it, will, it comes. For some of us, we're, we're like in it right now. Just that foreboding, that feeling of sometimes it's just depression or hopelessness or fear or anxiety or worry or shame. Like it just comes, right, without, without even looking for it. Just living in this world can, can cause the heart pain. I, I, I call it pain. It's just heartache. And when it comes, the writer of this book, and I just want to encourage you today, these passages are just such a blessing because God doesn't want us to feel like we're alone when the discouragement comes. He wants us to remember Jesus, who he really is and what, he, what he's really done. He wants us to remember that we can always draw near to the Father with confidence. He wants us to remember, stay in community. Because when that discouragement comes, we can, we can, try, we can tend to isolate, right? Just leave me alone. I'm not, just ask my wife, right? I am the king of, don't talk to me, right? I just want to be in my thing, and that's not always good. Sometimes it is if I'm wrestling with God, but other times it's not good. It's not good to isolate. 
And, and the passage we're gonna look at today is encouraging us stay in community, encourage one another, and finally remember, and this is so amazing, remember this stuff, this place down here, this way that things are, is not the way it's always gonna be. There's a day, there is a day coming when it's all, Jesus is gonna finish what he started. He's gonna finish what he started and it's all gonna be new. I mean, it's new now, but there's gonna be a completion to Jesus' promises. So uh, open up your Bibles if you haven't already. Let's take a look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, but I need to set the context right, right? Because whenever you see a passage that starts with the word therefore, you know there's a reason it's therefore, right? It's therefore a reason. So there is context that needs to be gained in order to understand the passage that we're about to read. And in this particular part of the book, the whole first 10 and a half chapters is the context. So we don't have time to unpack all of that. But in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 15 to 18, does a really good job. I'm going to read it for us on the screen. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 15 says, there it is. And the, it was there this morning, I'm telling you. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. There is a lot there. Let me just summarize this for us. This writer, this author, this pastor, whoever he was, wanted to make absolutely sure that we knew before we got to the text we're reading that number one, because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we can have a relationship with God that's closer and more intimate and more personal than ever before. The old way has, has, is over, it's obsolete, it's not the way anymore. The old way of, of physical sacrifices, animal sacrifices, having everything all religious and just right, having a big tabernacle and a big temple and a holy and a holy of holies and priests everywhere and doing all this kind of stuff, that's done. There is a new way to have a relationship with God that didn't require all that. Why? Because Jesus accomplished all of that. Jesus did all of that for us. That's the whole first 10 chapters of Hebrews. And then in the process, this new relationship that you and I can have with God the Father is possible because he gave us a new heart. What does that mean? He gave us a new heart. He wrote his law on our heart and in my mind. He gave me a new inner life. He gave you a new heart if you're a believer today. And he created that new heart in a special, supernatural, incredible way so that the Holy Spirit could actually come down and live, take up residence, dwell, in me, in that heart, inside of me. That's different than going to a physical place, killing animals, spreading blood everywhere, and lighting candles. That's totally different than that old way. Better, right? I've got him here now. Through the Holy Spirit, 
I have access to God now. My sins are forgiven. He had to forgive us our sins or the Holy Spirit can't dwell in there. Okay? I have a new heart as a Christian. You have a new heart as a Christian. We have the spirit of the living God dwelling inside of us with God's law written on my heart. That is an amazing truth. And with that as the backdrop, now let me read Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. The words that every discouraged, wandering, drifting, depressed, hopeless, at times, Christians need to hear. Maybe that's us this morning. Listen, if you will. Therefore, brothers, that's the therefore. In light of that, what Jesus has accomplished, since we have confidence, what confidence? That confidence to draw near to God. Why do we have confidence? Because of what Jesus has accomplished and done for us and in us. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Oh my goodness, what Jesus has done for our pain. What Jesus has done for us when, when, we're, when we're struggling, when, when we're suffering through times of hopelessness, when the heart is aching. Jesus has opened up that new relationship with God. We can enter the holy places with confidence. What holy place? Don't, don't you dare say 2401 Shady Willow Lane, right? That's a place. That's a physical place. That's a great place. I'm here. You're here. This is a great place. But that's not what he's talking about. Church building, as we know it, is a place for us to gather and worship together as saints and be equipped to do the work of the ministry. That's the church. That's the church building. The holy places is in me. It's in you. It's where the presence of God is. Do you see that? We have the presence of God because of everything that Jesus has accomplished and because we've been given a new heart and because the Holy Spirit has come and taken up residence in me, I can draw near to God with confidence and dwell there. He's with me. He's with you. That, that word confidence, that's an interesting word. It talks about this sense that I have to draw near to God, this confidence that I have, that I can come and be with him any way I wanna be. I mean, preferably, I wanna be with him the way that I am. If I'm having a great day, I'm in that holy of holies. This is a, obviously prayer we're talking about here. It's, it's a time of spending time with God through prayer, praise, and worship. And 
that word confidence kind of gives me the license to be real before God, however I am. I don't have to pretend. I don't have to put on a church face. I don't have to put on a mask. I don't have, like I'm, have to act like I'm okay if I'm not okay. I can come in the presence of God, draw near to God with confidence and just start talking about what's really happening. I want that confidence. Don't you want that confidence? And maybe there we go, right? Maybe there we go. There it is for some of us. We lack that confidence. Can I be that transparent with God? Don't, don't I have to be good? I mean, don't I, don't I have to like clean up my act or something? I can't just come waltzing. Yes, we can come waltzing in. Come as we are. I have a story I think this illustrates this so good. There was a missionary that um, served in Chad. He used to come through here. Not sure if he's still doing that. This, this, he's preached here about 10 years ago. I'll never forget this story. His name is Dr. Lewis Sutton. He was a doctor serving over in Chad. He told this story 10 years ago right on the stage. Man, I never forgot it. And let me share it with you. Dr. Sutton shared about a time when he was serving on the mission field in Chad when a local sultan summoned him to his palace. There's sultans out there. I guess it's not just in the Disney movies, right? (laughs) Once he arrived, Dr. Sutton was ushered into an actual throne room where there were many other villagers there to do their business with the sultan. This is how they carried on their business in that village. Before he was brought in, so he'd never, he'd, he'd been there a while and he'd never been summoned by the sultan. So he's like, what did I do, right? So before he was brought in, however, he was educated on the, on the proper protocol necessary to be in the presence of one so high and mighty. There were certain rules to follow and duties to perform. I mean, you couldn't just walk into the presence of this king any old way you wanted. Among other things, he was told never to turn your back to the sultan, always take off your shoes, and most importantly, you can only approach the sultan. I mean, he's walking down the aisle, right? He comes through the door, he's walking down the aisle, sultan's sitting here. You can only approach the sultan as close as your status in society allows. And if you make a mistake, he's getting all this like in the briefing room, right, before he's going in. If you make a mistake, it could cost you dearly, perhaps even your life. So he's thinking, oh my gosh, aren't I busy today? Since Dr. Sutton didn't really know what his place in this society was, he wasn't really sure how close to the sultan he should come. So he's a little anxious, right? So as the doors slowly opened, he cautiously proceeded down the main aisle toward the sultan, who was seated on his throne, adorned with robes, I'm not kidding, true story, a very large turban and looking very official and kind of a little uptight, right? On the left and right were the townspeople seated with their heads hung low, patiently and anxiously awaiting their turn. With his own head hung low and obviously very nervous, Dr. Sutton took a few steps and then he stopped. He lifted his eyes, he didn't know what else to do, right? He lifted his eyes ever so slightly to see what he should do next. And he notices the sultan going like this. Well, that's better than this, right? So he's doing this. 
Sultan lifts his hand and gestured that he should proceed forward. He took a few more steps, stopped to look up, noticed again the Sultan giving, giving him the signal to proceed. This continued until finally he had made his way down to the place where he could take his seat and begin to do the business that he came to do. As he sat down, Dr. Sutton shared, he didn't even remember what the business was that he was called there to do that day. What he did remember, however, was what happened next. Like a whirlwind, the doors in the back burst open and someone bolted in, racing down the aisle right toward the Sultan. It was a little kid. The boy took no caution, ignored all protocol. He didn't even take off his shoes. Without the slightest bit of hesitation, he fearlessly ran down the aisle only to leap into the Sultan's lap. Not knowing what was going to happen next, Dr. Sutton looked up. He couldn't resist, right? He looked up only to find the Sultan laughing and affectionately playing with the boy wearing a completely different countenance than only a few seconds earlier. Turned out it was the Sultan's grandson. I mean, how is this possible? What gave this kid the confidence to burst into the room like that? Why wasn't he afraid? Why wasn't he punished for such a reckless and irresponsible act of defiance and breach of carefully prescribed protocol? Because the grandson had rights no one else had. He was family. He had the family name, and he was part of the family line. And that made all the difference in the world. What a paradox, right? Everyone else in the room, for everyone else in the room, there was limited access to the Sultan, surrounded by fear, uncertainty, obligation, duty, following detailed rules, but for the boy, there was freedom, unlimited access, surrounded by joy, confidence, and delight. I just want to tell you this morning, the confidence that boy had to draw near to the sultan like that didn't come from him. Didn't come from that boy's performance or that boy's following the rules, or it didn't come from that. His confidence came from somewhere else. It came from someone else. The confidence that we have to enter the holy places is by the blood of Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished for us. Amen? That blood, that blood of Jesus poured out in death, perfected fulfillment of God's will, and provided a perfect atonement for my sins. That blood, unlike the blood of animals, this new way, this new relationship with God, this, this new way that we can burst in and just run and jump into the Father's lap is based on what Jesus has done for me, not what I need to do to get ready to come. There's nothing I can do 
to get ready to come and be with God. I can't do that on my own. I don't have what it takes. Jesus had to do it for me. His perfect, pure, absolutely righteous blood was spilled on my behalf and your behalf to open up a way so that I can come down that aisle and approach God with freedom and with confidence. The confidence is in the blood, not my performance. Amen? Amen. I don't know about you, but that is freedom for me. I can never be good enough. The high priest in the Old Testament would have to enter the most holy place by the blood of animals. We enter by the blood of Jesus. The blood of animals was an imperfect sacrifice and had to be repeated over and over again. The blood of Jesus is a perfect sacrifice, only needed to be done once for all. The boldness we are called to come in with isn't a feeling like I, like I, I got to feel confident before. No, that's not where the boldness or the confidence comes from. It's an objective, God-given right. We're family. <laughs> doesn't matter what I feel. doesn't matter if I'm beating myself up. doesn't matter if I'm hearing those voices that tell me how terrible I am and that you know, God doesn't love, that just, I don't listen to that stuff. I, I deal with it. But I remind myself, and the writer of Hebrews is trying to tell his readers, when you're bumping into that pain, when you're feeling that discouragement, when, when you're beating yourself up, when you're coming down on yourself, don't rely on that. Rely on Jesus. Remember who he is. Remember what he's done. We have a God-given right to approach him based on Jesus' performance and not just the blood, this way of entering into God. The Bible says it's a new and living way. Verse 20 says, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God. This new way, new meaning the old way is obsolete with the animal sacrifices and getting everything right and going to a physical location. We have God with us, God with us, Emmanuel, God in us. We can come in through the blood of Jesus. It's a new way. The old way is obsolete. That's why the writer kept challenging and encouraging these Jewish Christians, don't go back to an old way that doesn't exist anymore. God's not interacting with people like that anymore. It's the new way or no way. And this new way, it's a living way through his flesh. The old way was a dead way. You had to kill animals to get in. This is death and life. Jesus had to die, but he rose from the grave. It's a living way, and it's through the curtain that is his body. You know that curtain is representing again the way it used to be. You know this. There's this veil in the temple separating the holy place from the most holy place for centuries and centuries and centuries Priests had to serve outside that veil. That veil separated the pre very presence of God with everyone else. And only once a year, a special priest could go in offering sacrifices to God for the sins of the people, hoping that he got it right. 
And the moment that Jesus Christ died on the cross, the, the moment, could you imagine being the priest in the temple that day? The moment that Jesus said it's finished, that temple literally broke in two and came crumbling down. Could you imagine the like, whoa. He's probably like, what is going on, right? That, what does that signify? There's nothing blocking us from God anymore. It's a new and living way through his body, the temple. We come in through the blood, through what Jesus accomplished. Jesus is now our great high priest. We don't need a priest. We don't need any priest to offer sacrifices for us ever because we have Jesus, the great high priest who offered the ultimate sacrifice so that we could come in and be with God. One time, he's not gonna do it again. Doesn't have to do it again. We have this access and not just what Jesus has done for us, if that's not enough, right? But look at this passage says about what Jesus has done in us. Because some work needed to be done in us. I've mentioned already about this new heart. Verse 22 says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Jesus prepared us to receive the Holy Spirit by giving us a true heart. You know what that word true means? Devoted to God. Does that mean perfect? That doesn't mean perfect. Because even though my sins have been forgiven, the penalty of my sins and your sins are forgiven. Sin is still an issue until I get home in glory and be with the Lord. It's a battle. It is an ongoing battle. A true heart that God gave me is a heart that loves God. I love God. Do you love God? I love God. And I hate my sin. I do it. I wrestle with that. I hate that. I, I, that wasn't the way it was for me before. I didn't dislike God. He just wasn't really on the radar. And sin was just the way that I lived. All of a sudden, I'm new, right? I'm this new person, and I love God, and I hate sin. I'm devoted to God. And I'm wrestling and struggling with sin. That's the way it is. That's where the discouragement is coming from. He gave me a new heart. Jesus gave us full assurance of faith. You know what that means? Faith, the faith, that conviction that all of this is true is a gift from God. Jesus gave us the gift of faith. So when I'm struggling and I'm drifting and I'm wandering and I'm having a hard time, I'm not trying to muster up enough faith to believe. That's not what this is saying. That's putting your faith in faith. That's another distortion of the gospel, all right? This is talking about that what Jesus did, he gave me the gift of faith to believe in him. The assurance that I have is that what he did was true. That's the assurance of faith, that what Jesus did was sufficient and accomplished everything that I need to come into this relationship with God. And he sprinkled my heart clean. He purified my conscience. That's amazing. Again, back to the Old Testament, the, the priest would have to sprinkle the blood of an animal on the mercy seat, on the day of atonement, on the mercy seat of God to atone for the sins and appease the wrath of God for another year. Is this new way better or what? Jesus sprinkled his blood on my heart. Why? Because that's where God is. 
That's the new temple. This is the new temple. This is the holy of holies. I have God with me. So to prepare my heart, he had to sprinkle it clean with his blood and he had to wash me, cleanse me, all of me. This is so beautifully illustrated by baptism. Now I want to tell you, in light of all of that, that's a lot, right? In light of everything that Jesus has done in us, for us, why do we still struggle? I have been asking myself that question a lot lately. I, I don't know if you guys do this, but I find myself going, why am I still feeling this way? Why do I still get discouraged? Where, where's the joy of the Lord? Or why do I get depressed? Why do I feel hopeless at times? I'm telling you, I received some of the best counseling, biblical Christian counseling I have ever received in my life recently. And it's basically this. When I'm feeling that, I don't know about what what you guys do, but when I feel like that, I want it to go away. You know, I don't like feeling like that. And, And even when I bring it to God, I'm just praying, God, can you fill my heart with joy? God, can you give me your peace? And I'm just like, And I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but this counseling, this incredible counseling challenged me and it was put to me, Matt, have you ever thought that maybe that pain that you're feeling has a God-given purpose? No, (laughs) I'm supposed to be happy. Um, And so I was challenged to bring my pain into the Holy of Holies, but not to get it removed, but to stay in it and process it with God, with my Bible in my lap and the Holy Spirit in charge. And on one particular day, I've had amazing experiences with this. When, when I've been doing it in one particular time recently, I was really going through it. I, I don't even have to do anything. All I have to do is get up, okay? And and it's coming on. And I was praying through it, processing through with God, just, just expressing truth about what I was feeling and thinking instead of polishing it up. I was just being honest. And I remember saying, God, have I made a mistake? Am I not doing this right? Am I not... I mean, why am I feeling like this? I, I, I should be further along by now. Why do I always say that? I, like, what does that mean? And I will never forget, God, as surely as I'm standing before you on this stage today, I sensed and felt God saying to me, because I'm already in Hebrews, right? I'm studying this, right? He goes, flip the page. And I go to Hebrews 12, and it says, endure hardship as discipline, God is treating you like a son. And I've sensed God saying to me, Matt, you are my son. Do not confuse your pain with an absence of my love. You're not in pain because I don't love you. You're in pain because I do love you. 
You're in pain because you're battling sin and you're battling the enemies that want to take you out every day of your life. And I'm working in that pain. I'm giving you that pain. I'm allowing you to feel that pain because I want it to lead you to the healing. I I want it to lead you to the place in your heart that's broken, to the place in your heart that needs to be shifted, to the things in your mind that need to be repented of, to the lies that you've believed. I'm using that pain to lead you to my truth so that I can heal you but you keep wanting to avoid the pain. I love you, stay with me in this pain. And that verse in Hebrews chapter 12 says to endure the pain. You know what that word endure actually means? Stay, remain, abide, stay with something longer than you want to. And I felt God saying to me, stay with me in this pain. I'm I'm working with you on this. And I I don't know how else to tell you this, but when God, through his word, through the Holy Spirit, says to me, Matt, you're my son. I love you. I cannot tell you what that does when I hear it from him. I mean, I can hear it from you, I can hear it from the preacher, I can hear it on the radio, I can read it in the Bible, but when it comes in the throne room, when it comes from the Holy Spirit, when it comes from God himself, through his word, by the Holy Spirit, into my pain and into my brokenness, I cannot begin to tell you the healing that can take place when that kind of interaction is going on. It's just hard because I wanna run away from it. It's so hard. It's hard to endure. But it's like I can't go back, right? And this is all setting us up for this last part of the passage as I wind this down. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, and, neglecting to, and not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day near. Community, community, community. Relationships with other Christians, fellowship with other Christians. We can't do this alone. We can't. We have to be together. We have to stay together. We have to come to church. We can't wander away. We have to get into smaller communities. We have to be in places that are safe enough for me to be real and and know that if I lay it out there that somebody is going to try to give me some lame encouragement or throw a scripture on it or try to just make me feel better. I don't need you to help me feel better. I need you to connect with me and empathize me while I'm in it so that I can find out from God what's going on and I need to do the same for you. That's Christian encouragement. That's what it's community is about. It's not showing up and pretending and bragging about how much doctrine I know. That's all important. Doctrine is important. But if community doesn't get us to the place where we can be real, we won't heal. (laughs) 
God wants to make me holy. He wants to make you holy. He is shaping and pruning and changing and conforming you into the image of his son. Can I ask you a question? Does that word prune sounds like it's going to feel good? Right? He's cleansing me. He's purifying me. He's challenging the lies that I've believed. And he's asking us to endure with him so that his work can be done. He wants to have that one-on-one relationship with us and then we need safe communities to process that stuff and encourage one another. Amen? Now, if this would to end here, that would be kind of depressing, right? Well, okay. But the writer knows, the author, this, this pastor, whoever this person is, he knows, he says, encouraging one another. And all the more as you see The day, notice the day is capitalized, drawing near. There is a day where being a Christian won't be like this. There is a day when Jesus Christ is coming back. And it's not just like the deposit of the Holy Spirit. It's the full-on, full-blown, face-to-face, Everything goes, right? And on that day, we're going to get new bodies so that we don't have sin anymore. We don't have to bump into this stuff anymore. We don't have to fight like this anymore. It's going to be over. And we are going to be in the presence of God 100%, full-on, perfect. It's hard to even imagine what that's going to be like. Now, I say that with excitement, right? But at the same time, there's a humility there. Because for what that day means for us, it's going to be the nightmare for others who don't have this relationship. And and I wrestle with that. Because you're just like me. There's people we care about that we're not convinced has that relationship. And we pray. But for those of us that do, we're going home, guys. But for now, may we never forget as we bumping into this stuff and wrestling with this stuff, may we never forget who Jesus is, what he has done. May we not wander away and isolate. May we be bold and trusting in the blood of God and everything he's done and come into relationship into community, and be real. Amen? God, thank you so much. Thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for these promises. Thank you for these truths. Thank you for the new heart. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the atonement. Thank you for all of it. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for the forgiveness. Thank you that you live with me. Thank you that you don't give up on me. Thank you that you're willing to love me enough to let me stay in this pain so you can heal me. Thank you. I just pray this morning for for all of us, wherever we are, 
we don't have a relationship with you, God, that you would open up hearts this morning. Reveal sin. Change lives. Jesus, that you would grant repentance this morning, that you would rescue people from the dominion of darkness. They can't get there without you. And for those of us, God, that have been in this battle, encourage us today with these truths and go before us as we live with you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.